hello, ladies. Welcome back to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. And this week, I am so excited about our guest. Her name is Taylor Higgins. She is the international best-selling author of the book, Between the Stitching, that details her cycled romance through gut-wrenching manipulation and emotional abuse as she fights to find her way back to herself after loving someone who never existed. Her book is an Amazon exclusive and is currently optioned for film. Everybody, please welcome Taylor. Taylor, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Oh my gosh. So I heard her on another podcast and as she was describing her journey, I was like, I too have been there. And even towards the end of her episode, she said so many women had reached out to her and have expressed the same feelings. So let's start from the very beginning. Let's talk about your fearless female journey. So I met a guy, he was playing baseball actually in my neck of the woods. He was, if you met him, he was charming. He was cute, very shy, maybe a little sensitive. And we met at an event in the Boston area where I'm originally from. And we just hit it off. It was like, I never felt like I met somebody and we were just on the same page in our life. We were just, we could kind of just pick up and go. And I just felt like, wow, this is something special here. Obviously things went very quickly with him. It was like within the first two weeks and people usually are like, how did you not see this as a red flag? But at the time I was just enamored with the fact that he was so just kind and very in tune with who I was. And he took care of me emotionally, I guess you could say. And that excited me to some extent. So it went quickly. He was talking like marriage and I love you very, very soon. And it was just a whirlwind. And in the first few months, everything was really great. And I, I, there weren't flat. I mean, I guess you could say there were small red flags, just the way he didn't want to necessarily talk about his feelings and his emotions. And that kind of came out through his childhood over time. I felt like he was missing some gaps in his childhood, but nothing that I, I should bat an eye about really. But we just were very compatible and it kept me there. And then after the first few months of dating, he started, I call it his mask was starting to fall off. And I noticed different sides of him starting to come out. Just he was not able to, I guess, handle conflict well, or if there was an issue, a very small issue, it would be a very big issue to him and he would break down and cry. And this was a side of him that I had never seen before. And it was confusing. And I was like, Hey, if you're hurting about something, if it's work, if it's family, I can, I can help you. This is, we, we got this. We were, we're so good. Remember? And it just kept getting worse from, from there. But I was already so in deep with him because I was, he showed me some, some side of him that I just fell for so hard. And then little by little, he just kind of came undone and it was a slow cycle. And I'm sure you can relate to this. I'm sure you're having some aha moments right now, but, um, but it was a slow process. So it made it that much more difficult to actually realize what was even happening. And then looking back, I'm like, Oh my God, but you're, when you're in it, you just don't see it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about like when you first met him, he said he was just love bombing you and telling you how much he loved you. And he was already talking marriage. Was this within the, you said the first two weeks? Yeah, I was in the first two weeks. He was like, I can, you know, people say things like, you know, I could see this being a forever thing, you know, sending me quotes, just little, little tiny things that would insinuate that he wanted this forever. And I was like, wow, because it was, I just had never met anybody like that. And, he, and or a, for a guy to admit those things, I guess I had never dated anybody that wanted to use those words so quickly. And I was just like, I was totally taken by it. It was exciting. It was, it was fun. And, you know, it just, it just is what it is. And, but I'm, I'm sure that you can, was that the same case for you? Was it very yeah. fast for you? Yeah. Well, you know, I talk about this all the time on my podcast. It's when you have never experienced love, 
either from a boyfriend or from your parents, or, you know, you've only seen it on the TV or movies and somebody actually does it. Like she's explaining, like, you know, he was using words that not normally men don't do within the first two weeks and expressing his emotions and saying how much he loved her. It's like, you feel like, wow, this is it. This is happening to me just like on the movies. And, and, you know, did you by any chance, like for me, my friends were totally supportive because they too want that love story. And I I always blame Disney for that whole, like, you know, (laughs) indoctrination that we get as a child that we're waiting for our Prince Charming to come rescue us. And so did you have anybody in your life that was like maybe telling you, hey, that's a little weird or don't you think he's moving too fast or? Uh, Definitely. I had a friend that was like, that's kind of, but she was very like, she was a straight shooter and that's something probably she wouldn't she wouldn't be attracted to. But the, because he was so like just a gentle person and he was just like I was describing him very shy, you would not see it as a red flag. He was so innocent that for that to come out of his mouth, it, it had to be genuine. How could it not be? And so he, everyone believed him. My family adored him. People, my friends of my family that met him, everyone really liked him, which made it that much more of a difficult thing for me when he did start to turn and I, and I started having these issues, it was hard for me to express that because he had already convinced the people that knew him the least, I guess, that, that he is someone that he should, that should be loved. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us about the first time the shoe dropped and he exposed his, like you said, he took off his mask. Tell us about that first incident. Yeah. So he was from originally from Georgia. And as I mentioned, I'm from Massachusetts. So he was a baseball player and I had moved back to Georgia with him during his off season when he wasn't playing baseball. It was just for like a few months to see his family. And so I moved, I packed up a bunch of my stuff. I moved into his house in Georgia. And then shortly after I got there, I got a Facebook message from a woman. She was actually a mother. She had kids. And she said, Hey, I just needed to let you know, I'm, I'm one of his ex-girlfriends we dated before. And he just showed up at my house last night And he was outside crying, begging to see the kids, begging to see me and wanting to work on things. Now I had been there for like two days. He told me that he was going out to get us Chipotle and to do a baseball lesson. He taught baseball in the, in the off season. And so that's where I thought he was. And I was just totally cool with staying home and just waiting for him to come back with Chipotle. And then to get that message was, I was like, what is this? So I showed it to him and we were just eating breakfast on the couch and I showed him the message and he was like, people they don't want to see me happy. Okay. People from my past, they're toxic. I left them for a reason and nobody wants to see me happy. And he convinced me by throwing himself on the floor, sobbing, saying that he doesn't deserve happiness if I leave, like everything. It was unfair that it, that it happened that way. And looking back, yes, that's obviously something people don't handle situations like that, but he just could not handle the conflict. And that was really the first time something happened where I was taken back. And I I even spoke to the girl. I was like, I need to get more information. And she even like, she she told me everything I needed to know about him within like the first few months. And I still stayed because I wasn't ready to leave. And I feel like people that are, that have, have empathy and certainly have big hearts. They're just willing to see the best in people. And they're willing to see if they can fix it before they're ready to just say, you know what, that was weird. I, I have to go. Yeah, absolutely. People don't understand that like when you're in that kind of relationship, when they've love bombed you, they've created such a strong bond with you. Especially if you are a person, like you said, has a big heart, who's empathetic, who has compassion and you think, oh, well, I can help them or I can guide them through this pain. And then you kind of feel it's almost like gaslighting. Now you feel bad for showing him the message like, oh, my gosh, look at him. He can't even handle this, you know, and so you get into that motherly protective mode of like, 
I, you know, I shouldn't leave him because he's unstable and God only knows what will he do when I leave. So I completely get this. When I was listening to this on the podcast, I was like, this, this happened to me. I was dating actually a guy who played baseball, who also was very shy and presented himself very well to my friends and family. And one time we were at a party and I placed my elbow on his friend's shoulder, just like to lean on. As soon as his friends left, he called me the C word and the B word. And I was a hoe and I was trying to hook up with his friends. And I was oh, like, yeah. what are you talking about? And he went crazy and to the point where he lost his shit um, and was calling me all kinds of names. And then the next day, I mean, I went home and I just remember feeling this is not a good sign. This was my second abusive relationship. So I already knew all the red flags yeah. and he called me the next day and was like, I love you to the moon and back. And I'm so sorry. And I just would never do that to you. And his apology was so genuine and just kept blaming the fact that he was drunk and that he loved me so much and he just didn't want me to be disrespected. And so I fell for it. And just like you said, I stayed. Any weird things looking back about, because I know that you he had a weird relationship with his mom. Same thing with my ex, had a weird relationship with his mom. He would talk about how he would kill her and how he could, could care less if she died. And and just like the way wow. he talked about his mother, I was like, what in the heck? Like, I mean, I had a shitty relationship with my mom, but I wouldn't kill her. <laughs> like, right. so I, it just was like this these weird little things now looking back were just blaring red flags. So tell us a little bit about his mom, his relationship with his mom. Yeah. This is something that I always ask too. Like when I dated after him, just a quick side note, I, whenever I date anybody, I'm like, what's your relationship like with your family? Cause that to me was such a red flag that I went through that and I just didn't make it enough of a big deal as it was at the time. So looking at people's past is so interesting to me. And that's where I, especially people that reach out to me, I'm always like, well, what, what is their family situation like? But in regards to his family, his parents were both married. He had two younger siblings and they all lived in this house, the house that I was actually staying in too. So I got a really close look at the family life and the family unit there. But the mom, she had access to his bank account. She was very, very much involved. They had like the joint bank account, just totally was living vicariously through him, wanted to see, he played minor league baseball. Okay. He was not, he didn't make much money. There was just not much going on in his world, but she was like, he needs to make it because this is our opportunity. And they always talked about what he could buy for them someday when he did make it and he would have all this money. And um, if he spent any kind of money on me, she would actually look at his transactions. And if he, I remember specifically one time we went to Dairy Queen and he got ice cream and the price would imply that he bought two ice creams. And she's like, why can't Taylor buy her own stuff? Things like that. And I'm like, we're on a date. You're crazy. And if, and he actually Another thing, he asked my mom when he wanted to get me a Christmas present to buy my Christmas present so he could give her cash so his mother wouldn't see the transaction and where it was coming from. And I'm like, well, I didn't just open a new checking account, but he couldn't just disconnect her because she would lose her mind. And I, and I thought too, she was, had feelings for him in a way, kind of like an incest kind of way, because she would care for him in, in uh, like a, a way that a girlfriend might. She would cut his toes and you know, buy him things for the shower and manicure his nails and rub his feet, always rubbing him, massaging him, like super, super. And we'd be sitting there watching TV and he'd be getting a, a massage by mom. She'd plop herself right in the middle of the two of us. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Looking back, I'm like, wow. But at the time I'm like, all right, you were really close with your mom. 
<laughs> That's a little bit odd. Sitting next to you while you guys are watching a movie and massaging him. <laughs> yep. Yep. I remember one time too, she actually even got in the bed. We weren't in bed going to bed, but we were all sitting on our bed and she sat down. She's like, Do you need your toenails done? And I'm like, This is not, this is not happening. Unbelievable. So did you ever like question him? Like, this is a little odd. Your mom shouldn't be massaging you at this age, toenails. And what what was his response? So he was always like, it's, it's always been like this and he could never confront her. So I would say things that I thought were weird and he'd be like, he would agree with me. He'd be like, no doubt. That's, you know, I know, I know she's a little much. He would kind of just brush it off, but he was not the type to stand up to his parents. He could not tell them no. He could not say he couldn't do something to accommodate them. Like he always said yes to them, no matter what the situation was. Like he couldn't even, if they wanted to go to dinner at five o'clock and he couldn't make it, he would have to find a way because if he told him that he couldn't make it at five o'clock, it would be a war. It was just, he could not say no. Like, and I think that's where he had such a hard time with conflict because conflict to his parents was impossible, which made it impossible in his life. And I watched a lot of the patterns unfold. Luckily I was able to live inside of that house and really get a close look, but still it was, it was super weird. Oh, unbelievable. So how long did you stay after his ex-girlfriend contacted you? So that was right in the beginning and we were together for two years, sad to say. Two years, yep. Wow. So you so during those two years, did he ever lay hands on you or was it just emotional abuse? So it was a lot of emotional and verbal, but it did get physical. Right after the the conflict with the girlfriend, it started into like things like he would pick me apart. Like I remember one time I was making coffee and, he, and I was stirring counterclockwise. This is so oddly specific, but I was stirring the coffee counterclockwise with my spoon. And he was like, that's so weird. You're supposed to stir clockwise. And he, he made it this whole scene. And we were like, actually started a fight over the fact that I, the way I stir my coffee or, or the way I scramble eggs isn't right. Like everything I did, he would pick me apart. I'm wearing makeup because I want to, you know, cause a scene and make attention for other guys. And I have blonde. Oh my God. He convinced me to dye my hair brown because having blonde hair meant that I wanted attention. Like it was all these things. And in that process, people don't realize they're like, how could you stay? But I was one in love with somebody that was now making me feel like I wasn't good enough for anything. I was being emotionally beat to a pulp. I didn't even believe I was good enough to do anything. I could barely have conversations with people. So the emotional abuse is what kept me there. I don't know if you can relate to that, but it was, it was just, uh, it was devastating. No, I absolutely can relate to that. First of all, for those of you who are listening, Taylor Higgins is absolutely gorgeous. She (laughs) was a, weren't you a beauty pageant winner at one point? Yes, actually, when I was dating him, I was Miss Teen Massachusetts at the time. Massachusetts. She is absolutely gorgeous. There isn't a flaw on her. And so I totally understand. So this is what happens when you're dating a narcissistic man. And this happened to me as well. My ex would criticize my food and say it was too salty. My boobs were too big. He didn't like how I wore my makeup. I shouldn't be wearing short shorts because my butt was too big. Criticized how what clothes I would wear to work. He criticized how much money I made compared to him. I remember one time we went to Del Taco for dinner and uh, we were sitting in a drive-through and he asked for my credit card to pay for the food because he said he made less money than me. And then I kind of made a joke like, you know, it's funny because when I would love to go to a dinner and like, because I lived in Newport Beach and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of restaurants and I I really just wanted to get dressed up, put on a nice dress, do my hair and makeup and go to a nice restaurant. And he said, oh, you're one of those girls. You can't just be happy with Del Taco. And I'm like, (laughs) but he literally would make me feel like I was just like disgusting, a disgusting human being for putting makeup on, for not cooking right, for everything. My boobs were too big. And it was just, 
so many different things that he was trying to like cut you down. And obviously you're a gorgeous girl. So he was trying any little thing to cut you down, even to change the color of your hair. If you're experiencing this, if you're listening to this, it, it could be so minute from like your cooking isn't good or you don't do this right. Or you didn't, you don't look good in a ponytail or you shouldn't wear jeans. It's mm-hmm. the little criticisms that knock you down day by day to the point where like Taylor said, you're an emotional like void and you don't even have any confidence in yourself anymore. And the human being that you used to be before you met him is no longer there. Yes, exactly. Um, So let's talk about when you found out more information and things that he was doing that was a little weird to you and a little off that maybe gave you a clue to start looking into stuff. Yeah. So he would travel a lot, obviously, for his job. He was gone almost every other week. And there were a lot of opportunities for weird things to happen. And I got really good. I was like the FBI at one point, like we all are a good a girl that was betrayed is always compared to an FBI agent. But I would realize when he was going away, he would just, he was following certain people and unfollowing. I was just watching all of his patterns. And I remember even I couldn't even go to sleep at night. I was afraid that he would follow somebody while I was asleep. This is just how low I was. And I would wake in a panic. Sometimes my phone would be underneath my pillow and I would just jump for Twitter or Instagram uh, to see if he had followed anybody knowing that I was asleep. Like, what would he do when he knew I couldn't, you know, defend my own self at that time? And so things like that started happening. But then I also noticed a change in a shift in his behavior. He was a lot more aggressive. I guess the more I confronted him, like if I said, hey, you know, I saw you followed so-and-so, you know, used to date her. Like I just would bring things up. And then I noticed the physical side of him came to light and he would do small things like, not necessarily small, but we would be driving in the car. This was one of his famous things. And he was he would be driving, I'd be in the passenger seat and he would quickly like pretend to punch me in the face. But in reality, he just went and put his hand on the headrest behind my head. But I would flinch and I would be like panic. I'd be like, my, and I would be taken back obviously. And he would laugh thinking that I, he's like, I'm not gonna hit you. And he would just make this whole deal about it. And it was so twisted. And so every time he moved quickly around me, I just started flinching. And then, so that was a thing. And then he also would pretend to like drive off the road too. When we were driving, he would like yank the steering wheel if we were arguing or something, or if I was, he was like, you always bitch. Like all you do is yell and cause fights and you're so dramatic. And I don't want to, I don't need to be with someone like you. And he would just pretend to yank the wheel and drive off the ditch and threaten to kill us both. And so that was nice. And then the more he traveled, the more I found, for example, I, he was on the road and he left his laptop. I was actually doing his laundry. So he would come back to a nice clean house because everything had to be perfect. And saw his laptop in the closet and he never used his laptop. He was an iPad guy. So I opened it just thinking I wouldn't find anything, but it opened directly to his Skype account. And I saw that he was video chatting countless women on the road, every city, he had people everywhere, like even in other countries that he talked to in different time zones. And I was like, wow, I uncovered a whole other world. He came back and we had this huge physical altercation all because I confronted them with his true self and he could not handle that. And we ended up having this massive fight. And he was like, that wasn't me. That was my brother. So he could never actually take any ownership either for anything that he did, even no matter how many times I presented him with the truth. It could be a photo of him and he would tell you that's not me. And he could convince you that it was not him, even though you were looking at his picture. Unbelievable. He's totally gaslighting you and completely manipulating the situation until the point where you even think, am I crazy? Yes. I literally, I started writing things down because he was such a good storyteller and he was so genuine with the way he would, you know, explain things and thorough too. Like he had, he had reasons for everything. It's like he came prepared to the fight. 
And so I started writing things down. That's actually how my book came to fruition. People were like, how did you remember all of this stuff? And it's because I started journaling because I questioned my own reality and I didn't know what was actually happening and what was just like, what was fear and what I was blocking in my mind. I just, I was not sure. There was a whole nother world that you uncovered with his Skypes. What, what, what was he doing on Skype? So he had, it, it opened to a, a whole, obviously his friend list. And I could tell by the list, some were like normal names. Like they would just have like regular girl names. My name was on there. But then it was like ones that would almost imply that he was on like porn sites. They were like frisky names and just a lot of, I guess, names that he probably paid for. And then, so I opened them and he recorded single video. He was a video chat guy. He would record everything. And these women would perform sexual acts for him on this Skype account uh, and he would watch. And then as soon as he got what he needed out of the session, out of watching somebody undress or, or play with himself, he would just shut it off. Like he would, it, he was just using them so quickly to fill this like unnecessary void. And it was, it was disgusting. And, it, and what was most alarming was that there was just such a range. He had like no type. And I thought, you know, a lot of his ex-girlfriends looked similar to me. Um, they had blonde hair and light eyes, whatever. And, but on here, it's age, like gender, nothing mattered. He even he even started, you know, getting into these types of Skype sessions with men as well, which was very, very shocking because uh, I just, I, I didn't know that it was with both genders and it was very alarming. Wow. What what did you feel at that point? Like, take us back to that day when when all of those names came up and you watched a couple of those videos, like, what were you feeling? I felt like at the time I was numb. Like I almost, I, I, I felt like he couldn't knock me down any further. And it was just like another thing. And I was so, I had no emotions left. I had no tears left because I had already been in the relationship for almost the two years. And I was at my parents' house. I'll never forget it. I was in my mother's office where he, we gave him a little closet. Cause he just stayed with us temporarily while he was traveling. My mom came in and I was like, Oh, the laptop was open, but she couldn't see. It was like too much. It was facing me. And she was like, what's going on? And, and I just shut the laptop and I felt like I couldn't even tell her then because I didn't want to have to deal with her emotions and her sadness on top of what I was already feeling. So I was just like, Oh, nothing. And I brushed it off. And it was just, I was putting on the show for everyone that I was just okay, but I had nobody to t- talk to. Cause I couldn't go to my friends anymore. He isolated me. He, he didn't like any of my friends and kind of put me in this bubble where only he had access to, right? So I didn't feel like I could call anybody because I already exhausted the the talks with my friends about, you know, he's doing this again, or, you know, he cheated on me. And they're like, just leave him, Taylor. Why don't you just leave him? And they were just all fed up with it. And I didn't want to tell my parents because he still had to come back there at some point. And it was just a lot of other people's emotions. And I felt like I had nowhere to put my own hurt. So I kind of just sat in it to answer the question directly. I kind of just sat with my own pain and I had to figure out how I was going to break things off. If I even could, even though I was given that kind of truth, I still was like, I want to understand why he's doing this. It wasn't so much like I need to get out. It was like, why would he ever do that when he has, we have such a great relationship. Well, at the moment, you thought you had such a great relationship. Yeah. So messed up in the whole entire relationship. And I totally get it. The isolation, my ex isolated me the same way. Didn't, I didn't, my friends didn't like him. My sister eventually didn't like him anymore. I mean, the the things that he was doing and, and you do paint this pretty picture to the point where you don't want to tell anybody what's really going on behind closed doors because you've already painted this beautiful little picture. And you know, I didn't have social media back then, but, you know, I was like telling everybody how wonderful he is and look at this Christmas present that he got me and oh, look at how amazing we are. And, and I just painted this picture, um, you know, with my first ex-boyfriend and the same thing with my second ex-boyfriend we had 
you know, social media. So it was like, I was posting all these pictures of us and everything was perfect. And, and so you're so ashamed that it's gone so backwards and it's, and it's bad that you don't want to tell anyone the truth anymore. It's almost like you have to continue with the lie and like yes. you, said, you don't want to tell anybody, you know, your family, because you know, you're eventually going to bring them back to the house or to family functions and you don't want it to be odd. And so you kind mm-hmm. of stay in this misery and you almost like get stuck in your own depression and your own sadness. And you, because he's messed you up so much in your mind that you almost believe that this is what you deserve. Yes. So yes, you are stuck. And so if you're listening to this and you've been love bombed, you've been isolated, you've been manipulated, you've been gaslighted, you've been told and nitpicked that you are not good enough in so many different areas of your life in the way you look and the way you, uh, you know, present yourself to the world and the way you cook and the way, even in the way you have sex. If he's like, criticizing Mm -hmm. everything about you that is questioning your confidence in your identity and who you knew you were before you met him. These are all blaring red flags. This episode is sponsored by CoachSnap. Are you looking for an all-in-one platform to help you build your coaching business? Then you need CoachSnap. It allows you to schedule appointments, collect payments, train and support all of your clients' needs. Health, Fitness, hockey, football, or even life coaches can use CoachSnap. It's the business platform that will help you be the best coach you can be. So let's talk about the day when you finally decided, this is it, I need to get out. How did that go down? Because you're living with him, correct? Yes. So he came back eventually. He He went home for a funeral, actually. And then he came back and we split up for a while, but that wasn't even the end of our story. I could not let go. And in my book, it's like this very like sick cycle of like me saying, I'm talking to myself and I'm like, I just can't leave. I don't know why. And everyone around me is like, just leave, just leave. What are you doing? And, and that's why I always say too, if you know anybody that's going through this, or if you yourself are, is going through this, find people or be that person that somebody can talk to. Because these people are uh, people like ourselves that are in that situation. They're so used to bottling everything up and there's no outlet for it. And that's what keeps people there. The more you talk about this kind of stuff, the more comfortable and the more comfortable you become with, within yourself, within your own bones. And it helps people leave. So that's just an important note there. But on my final day with this, with the guy, he was playing baseball in Florida. We had, we split up for a period of time, but we ended up back together. I followed Florida he was playing spring training there and it was just not good. Like things were still the same, same fight, same, same story. And I, I was just tired, but my body just, I didn't, it's like, I almost could tell myself, I don't love him anymore, but I don't know how to leave him. I don't know how to, it's like, I knew that he was so wrong for me, but I just couldn't get myself to mourn the physical loss of him. Cause I was so used to our routines and how we brushed our teeth together. And those like little moments in the day that were kind of good. And I clung to those with, for, with dear life. On the last day that I saw him, I drove him to the field because we just had his truck there. I drove him to the field and he thought everything was normal and fine. I kissed him goodbye. Oh, important to note that on the way to the field, we stopped at Dunkin' Donuts and he got himself breakfast. And I was like, hey, can, I, can you get me a bagel? I was running low on cash. And he said, Taylor, this is my money. You have your own money. And I made it very clear that I don't make a lot of money. So you need to pay for your own self. He went inside, got himself breakfast. And then I came, he came out and I watched him eat it on the way to the field. <sighs> and to me, and I say like all those things happen, the laptop, the, the physical altercations, like whatever it was, he also had like a strong addiction to alcohol and prescription medication. Like there was a lot, he was, he was a lot, his family, whatever. It was a bagel that made me say, you need to get on the next flight to Boston and you need to never look back. 
And it was, it was literally a bagel. So I drove him to the field. Like I was saying, I kissed him goodbye and I never saw him again. That was just, that was the last time that we were ever in a relationship. And he, he got home that night. So i never showed field obviously to pick him up because I flew home that day. And he never actually, I don't know how he made it home that day, but he never even called me and said, Hey, where are you? My stuff was all gone. And he never, ever, ever called and said, where are you? Where'd you go? It's like, he knew that I was going to leave. It was just a matter of time. And he did, he wasn't even phased by it. He's a, a psychopath or a sociopath. Doesn't even care. Has any feelings? But yeah, that is such an incredible journey. And the fact that you spent time writing all of this down and journaling, and now turned it into a book. I mean, so many women need to hear this story because they've either experienced it themselves or are currently in that situation. Going back to like when you were talking about the phone thing and how you were having so much anxiety, even that you couldn't sleep because you were you know, following everybody, making sure who is he following, who is he unfollowing on Instagram, social media, Twitter. I, I totally get that because I went through the same thing. Like there was a point in my relationship where, you know, he had different um, ringtones on his phone. So like uh, vibration was a text, a, a bing was like an ESPN alert and something else was like, you know, and how I caught him with someone else, he was doing weird things. Like, you know, normally we would uh, go in the bathroom together and, you know, cause he lived somewhere else. So he would come over shower and I would sit on the toilet and talk to him while he was showering. Cause we hadn't seen each other towards the end. He would close the door and lock it and wouldn't let me in the bathroom. And I'm like, what are you hiding? Like, you know, now looking back at, he probably (laughs) hickeys on him or something. When I finally caught him and one of his dings was not a text message. And he tried to tell me it was an ESPN alert. I grabbed his phone and found out that he was texting with his ex-girlfriend and trying to find a place to meet, to have sex. And I immediately was like, I cannot. And I had tried to break up with him three different times. And like I said, he would always come crawling back and say how much he loved me to the moon and back. And he would do like nice things for me. Um, Like I remember one of the things I wanted was to, for him to go to church with me. And, you know, when I tried to break up with him the third time, he was like, I'm going to start going to church with you. And he went to church with me that one time. And I just, in my mind, I wanted so bad for it to work out. I wanted him to be the person that I knew he could be, but he just not socially, but like psychologically, he couldn't possibly be the person I wanted him to be because he had so much toxic behavior and toxic narcissist (laughs) traits that there was no yes. way to ever be the person I wanted him to be. And the fact that you said it took a bagel to leave. And, and here's the thing, like when her friends were telling her, just leave, just leave. I don't understand. Just leave. And, and even me as a coach, and I have clients who have dealt with similar situations and I'm telling them, just leave, just leave. You know, I've come to the conclusion, you can't tell people just leave. Cause even when people were telling me, my best friend was telling me just leave. I couldn't leave. I, I had to get to that place in my own mind. Like Taylor had to have the bagel incident to be like, that's the last straw. Like I can't take this anymore. I mean, Mm -hmm. not the punches to the, you know, headrest, not, you know, the Skype calls, not the ex-girlfriend calling. It had to have been something specific because it's that moment where you just get this aha that this will never change. He will always be this way. So even though Taylor was trying to hold on to those little moments, like brushing your teeth together and maybe having a couple laughs or whatever, in the overall grand scheme of things, this is the man who will always be this way. 
Yeah. And so I love that that was your moment. My moment with my first ex-boyfriend, um, nobody knew what was going on until it was like the New Year's Eve kind of week or whatever. And people had some time off and he was smoking weed in the living room with his friends. And I had to go to work the next day. I was the only one with a regular nine to five job. And I told him to keep it down in the living room. And you would have told you would have thought that I told him, you know, that I killed his cat or whatever, but he came into the bedroom to lay his hands on me. And my friend Heidi didn't know what was going on. So she had opened the door and the look on her face was what got me to leave. Was all these things that happened behind closed doors. Nobody had ever seen it. And the look on her face was like, I'm the girl in the lifetime movie. I'm the girl. And I'm, I've allowed this behavior. And so I remember packing up all my stuff and leaving in 2006. And I thought, this is going to be the last relationship I'm ever going to, I'm never going to go back. I went through therapy. I read the books. Um, I knew what the narcissistic traits were. And yet, um, you know, years later, I fell back into another one. So it's a constant um you know, journey to try to figure out why you are connecting with these kinds of men. And trust me, they seek you out. They know that you are compassionate and empathetic and are are easily manipulated, especially if they can isolate you, then they won because now they can run their game. So pay attention to you know, all of these signs. And I'm glad, Taylor, that you, you know, got on this podcast with me because the moment I heard your episode on the Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald, I was like, she needs to tell her story. And I, and not only is she wrote this book, but she is her own. I love that you said this on the podcast. You're your own marketing person. You're your own publisher. You're the only person spreading this word, but this word needs to be spread because there are multiple females out there right now listening to this that are in this current relationship. Yes. You could not have said that any better. And like, I can't tell you how many people have actually said I've gone through identical situations. So think about how weird and crazy that story or our stories sound, but people have lived through those identical conversations and, and scenarios. And it's so scary. And then there's people, there's the other side of it where people say, you know, I get the the mean comments on social media and they're like, this is all your fault. You allowed this, you have the ability to control yourself and say no and make people stop. And it just shows us that we have a lot more work to do with this message because it's not a conversation that's being had regularly. And we want people to be aware of this. Yeah. I, you know, people think that it's easy for you to just say no and not allow this. But first of all, if you grew up in a toxic environment where your mother and father, this was the kind of behavior allowed. Like for me, I grew up with an abusive mom. So I was like, oh, abuse equals love. And so this is how it goes. Um, right. Another thing is, you know, maybe Taylor didn't grow up with that, but she didn't, was never confronted with that kind of confrontation or who punches, you know, tries to make you flinch, who tells you, you know, to stir your coffee the wrong way. I mean, it's all the little things that add up and people don't understand. It wasn't just like, oh, all of a sudden he showed all this red flags and, oh, I, I'm making the decision to leave. No, it was a small buildup. And Mm -hmm. in between, there's a lot of love that he's giving you that you're like, oh, I forgive him. He really is a good guy. Look at him. He's so sweet. It's the littlest things that you hold on to because you so desperately want this person to be what you've imagined him to be. You could not have said that any better. It's like those, those tiny things, they keep you there for whatever reason, but they're big things to us. They're very, very big things. Yeah. And I have interviewed so many women, women with PhDs, women who are doctors, women who are lawyers. It's happened to 
the best of us. And so for people to criticize, you cannot understand until you're actually in that sort of situation. But I'm so glad that you're out here spreading the word. And um, tell us about your book and how you wrote it yourself, because I love this story too. So tell us a little bit about what's going on with your book and everything. Yeah, I self-published the book two years ago, actually. And like I was saying, I do all of my own PR marketing. I'm a one-man show. And I liked the idea of self-publishing because I was totally in control of either the success of the book in the story itself, wherever it went, I was, I would be behind that just myself. Um, and I just continue to take any, every opportunity I can to talk about this message. And the book became an international bestseller within the first two weeks. So it just was off the charts. It's, it sold at number one on Amazon. And now it's even caught the attention just after doing some recent podcasts of some really popular and well-known producers want some being on HBO, some being with Netflix. And so I just signed a contract actually on Monday. My, my book is being optioned for film. Um, I'm working with a great team to get this out there, but it, they were like, this is right on the money. This is relevant content. This is like, people are living this. One of the women that I'm working with are, it actually went through the exact same thing. So it's just, it's just something that needs to be, to be put out there. And I'm working on a second book. I'm putting the sequel out next month, actually, to Between the Stitching. It's a new release coming. Everyone was like, well, what happened next? What happened after that whole story? So I'm going to release that. And I just hope to continue writing. I, I enjoy talking about relationships and just being aware of you know, what people are and, and what they do. Oh, I love it, Taylor. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm so happy that, you know, she could have just been like, oh, this happened to me. And they're like, oh, I, you know, and break up. But she put her story out there. And even though it's kind of shameful because she's already getting negative comments, right, on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok, mm-hmm. she's like, people need to hear this story. So regardless of her own feelings and her own, you know, ways about this, she's putting it out there to save others, which is so incredible. And I'm so proud of you. And congratulations for signing that contract. I will be right there watching and um, I'm excited for you. And thank you for coming on the podcast. And thank you so much for just being vulnerable and honest because we need more of these honest conversations so that we can avoid future toxic narcissistic relationships. Okay. So (laughs) as we wrap up this episode, what would be your nugget of wisdom for anyone who is listening right now? Don't be afraid to be raw with your truth. Like that is my, the motto that I live by. When you are raw with your truth, you allow people to open up and do the exact same thing. And when you are raw like that, you are allowing other people to heal. When we can relate with other people, when we hear somebody's truth, when we see somebody let their guard down, you're, you're offering that opportunity for them to do the same thing. And there is so much to be healing, to be healed in that. So don't be afraid to let that guard down. Oh, I love it. Okay, Taylor, how can my audience find you? So I'm on Instagram and TikTok mainly. Those are the two forums that I use the most. If you want to hear more of this kind of content, that's all I talk about on TikTok. And my name is at the Taylor Higgins on TikTok and Instagram. Thank you again for listening to Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. If you love this episode, make sure to share it with your friends. You can find me on the internet at fearlessfemale.com, on Facebook, the Fearless Female Movement, on Instagram at Fearless Female Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And ladies, remember, we have the power to rise and face everything. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.